you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good, thank you. It's been a while. Oh, I don't even know how many years it's. Has it already been two, three years since? Uh, Bill Street. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely been. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's been eight years. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can imagine. It's just it's such a strange time and. First of all, let me do my intro. So hi, I'm Akria Jampi from the British Blacklist and I'm here with the wonderful Barry Jenkins. Do you, do you know what? I actually didn't, I usually put people on blast and make them introduce themselves because I feel like people underestimate or undermine their talents and their achievements. How would you introduce yourself, sir? Oh, uh, I'm Barry Jenkins and I am a, a filmmaker from Miami, Florida. Uh, real simple. Yeah. Nothing special about this guy. I'm just a dude. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't say that because I think everyone would beg, beg to differ because you're, you're all kind of you're all one of those protect at all costs visionaries. So no, uh, just say you're a filmmaker. Um, but how are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, it's Wednesday. Uh, the dog has been walked. Uh, I got a little workout in. I'm good. I'm good. Are you getting your workouts in? Well done. I'm struggling yeah. to keep up with it. Were there some of those um, kind of goals that you had to hit whilst lockdown has taken over the world? And it took me a year of lockdown to finally start to work out. But I think uh, too much wine and too much sitting around watching television. So it's time to get lockdown gut grow. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we're here to talk about your um, your series, the Underground Railroad. First of all, what point of your state of being were you at when you decided to pick up and adapt the Underground Railroad from Coulson's book? And, when I, and what I mean by that is just like literally in the wonderful success, the recognition, the accolades. Yeah, what was your mindset? Like, okay, this is the story that I wanted to tell and yeah, why? Yeah, this was, uh, this started before Moonlight actually uh, wow. premiered. So uh, it's been a while and it was before any of those accolades or things like that, which I think was kind of for the best. You know, making the show was terrifying, but it began way before any of the success or the pressure or the added pressure that made it uh, additionally terrifying. So it was nice to know that the creation of the show was coming out of just the pure instinct and curiosity I have as an artist and not someone who's trying to figure out a way to utilize their success. And really what it was, I'd always wanted to make something that was set or dealt with the condition of American slavery. And I always remembered as a kid, the Underground Railroad, when I first heard about it being this fascinating thing, you know, it was, to me, it was like black superheroes. And when you learn that it, it was fascinating and amazing, but it wasn't literally, you know, people building train tracks underground, yeah. it was kind of like learning Santa Claus wasn't real for me. And so when I read Colson's book for the first time, which was before Moonlight even premiered, I got that feeling again. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is something I should chase. I, I think that still applies. So where, who were you at that point before? So before the Moonlight success, it's even more interesting to know, who were you? I was always a fan of Colson's work. Yeah, I wanted to adapt his first novel, The Intuitionist, and, you know, couldn't get hold of that novel. This was way, way before I even made my first feature. And so I'd always been checking for him. And when the book was coming out, my agents and my reps and all these people were like, hey, this book is coming out. We think it's going to be a big deal. It's about the Underground Railroad. And it's written by Colson Whitehead. Right away, I was like, oh. Okay. The stars aligned. Yeah, the stars aligned. Obviously, you had to meet him to have this discussion like, hey, I'm going to adapt your book. What was that first conversation? Uh, the first conversation, I was very clear with him that I had no intention of making it as a feature film. I just thought that canvas was too small uh, to tell the story in the way I wanted to tell it. And so I told him this has to be a series. And if it's not a series, 
I'm not the right person for it. I think he respected that. And then he asked me, so what other, what other movies or shows that depict slavery do you think are reference points for this? And I said, oh, no, no, I don't think uh, shows or movies that are about slavery are a reference point for this. I think this thing is going to stand on its own. That was one of my questions, because I was actually going to say, what was your, I don't say, and I, and I don't mean go-to as in, I don't know, whatever I mean by saying go-to, I don't mean that, mm -hmm. but what was your go-to slave narrative growing up as, a, like, like you said, you were fascinated with Underground Railroad. What was your material? What was your source of information? Yeah, growing up, the source of information was honestly the, the very simple shit that they taught us uh, in school. You know, in the month of February, which is Black History Month over here, you learn about Harriet Tubman and yes. the Underground Railroad and, and MLK and, uh, and Abraham Lincoln. And I had seen Roots. I had watched Roots with my grandma and things like that. And oddly enough, The Color Purple, which we don't code as being something that deals with slavery. But in my mind, for some reason, it felt like it was also about slavery. So those were the two. It was interesting because Steve McQueen made 12 Years a Slave. When I was a kid, I had no idea that Gordon Parks had adapted uh, that memoir as well in the 1980s. So Steve's film is the second telling of Solomon Northrop's story. There's a feature film from the 80s that adapts the same memoir. And it's fascinating to see the difference between the two films. You can tell that because Roots exists, because Mr. Parks' film exists, Steve, I, I call him Steve because he's a friend, he has so much more freedom in the way he tells the story. And I feel like our show is now standing on the shoulders of, of Steve's film, and we have more freedom in how we're telling our story. It's interesting that because I think there's there's been a time, there's a kind of style shift, I would say, in creativity that when you have a book, like the, I'm looking at my bookshelf over there, and there's a book called Standing at the Scratch Line by Guy Johnson. You, that's one of my favorite, favorite books. And I can't wait, please, somebody make it, please, please, please. But I, in my mind, it was a film. But then I love that you said that it, it, it can't be compartmentalized into 90 minutes or 180, 20 minutes. No it needs the breath to breathe so you can bring life to these characters, which you have done in this series. But um, I'm, so I'm, just, I'm just appreciating that that was a conversation that Colson was like, okay, I hear you. Because did he come with that mindset that this should be a feature at first? He, he, was, he was open to it. And, okay. and right away, I think he just respected that as much as I wanted the book, you know, I only wanted it in this way. And I think when I explained to him why it had to be that way, he felt taken care of. And I, I would say that because as an author, you like it, there's a world that you create and it's such a vivid imagination for the reader as well and for the author. So that to mm -hmm. saying that, I think that's a respectful notion. So I'm, I'm, I can understand that he'd appreciate that. But I also read that he kind of, before he even decided to write the book himself, he had to seek counsel from his loved ones and his therapists and things like that. So who, the, so when you kind of said, this is what I want to do, this is a thing to take on. It's like exploring a very brutal history and a very mm -hmm. brutal story that's triggering PTSD, all that type of stuff. What was your safe space and how did you approach it? There was no need for a safe space. You know, I, I felt like at that point in my life and in my career, I was strong enough uh, to do it. I understood that there would be people that on site did not want to see this and did not want it to exist. I felt personally that these stories, you know, telling the stories of these ancestors of these characters uh, was very necessary, especially in a world where all you hear every damn day is make America great again. I think in hearing that you understand, oh, there's a cavity, there's a vacuum because America wasn't always great. And we're not filling that cavity or that vacuum with the stories of our ancestors. And so I, I didn't need counseling. 
you know, I, I felt like I was strong enough and, and I felt like, to be brutally honest, the things that the characters in the show and the things that my ancestors experienced were so much more difficult than anything I could ever possibly have to deal with um, that I had to just take it, you know? I had to just take it. And so I did. Now, once we got to set and we started to make the thing, then uh, a therapist was very, very necessary. I didn't seek it, but um, you know, Amazon was very smart. They demanded that a therapist always be present on set. And, uh, and there were a few days, therapists sought me. I am so intrigued to hear that and I think that's wow how far we've come that the big corporation body like Amazon were like actually in telling a story like this respecting the fact that the people the black people on set and the creatives Mm -hmm. and even the white people on set you need an outlet well, 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 cool. That's the thing, man. Was was trippy is as the as the production went on. It's 116 days. I noticed uh, the, our therapist's name, or we called her a guidance counselor, but she was a therapist. Her name was uh, Kim White. We called her Miss Kim. I noticed that as things went on, I kept expecting her to be have to be pulling the black cast aside, the black crew. But as it went on, it was every time I look over, it would be a white crew person or a white cast member that she would have to grab and take and pull over. And, and, and it solidifies something for me that I think is very true of these stories, which is the trauma is real, but the shame is not ours. And I think with all these, and we were making this thing as a community, as a community. Yeah. And yet if I see my ancestors and they are suffering this very acute trauma, and then you see your ancestors and they're creating and causing this trauma, there's no doubt where the shame is gonna fall. And uh, it, was, it was fascinating. It's interesting, when you make a piece of art, the making of it itself is almost its own distinct piece of art. Yeah. And it was kind of crazy to watch this live experiment play out, where just like you said at the beginning, I assume, yo, all us black folks on this set, we gotta hold each other down, we gotta rally. And they're realizing, oh shit, and all these white folks, Miss Kim gotta take care of them because they going through it. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to, because you're speaking to so many conversations I've been having recently, mm-hmm. and especially, I wish I had an hour to talk to you, but especially in this kind of, we're calling this moment the Black Lives Matter moment, which mm-hmm. I don't want it to become a fad from last year, from George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. I, I hate that these are becoming fad words, but it's part mm-hmm. of our lexicon now. It's part of a culture. It's, it's something that happened. So we're coming through this era of Black Lives Matter, and there's this shift in white people that are like, oh, we have to face the fact that it means your privilege has enabled something as part of a racist system. So you have to sit in that and then purge that out. And unfortunately, we can't do that for you because we've been trying to tell you and you haven't heard it. However, mm-hmm. I can see people falling apart at the seams and I can understand that being on set, it actually makes, it actually absolutely makes sense that you guys, that the brothers and sisters are not okay, but okay. And the, it's the white people that haven't had to reckon that in this honest way. Exactly. But I think what happened during the making of this was it was very clear racism is our inheritance. Right. And there was nowhere, there was no place to hide from that. Right. No place to hide from that. And as we went on, you would see this, you would see these people start to either see their ancestors or see themselves in the thing that we were creating. And then you would see Miss Kim have to go over and be like, yep. And she would have to literally pull, she would, I should be watching like a hawk. And she sees him, I see her slowly walk up. She put a hand on her shoulder and you see them look into her eyes and right away, it's like, oh, we got a pause. <laughs> and, and it was dope. You know, it, it, it was it was so cool. This was 
it was it wasn't humbling so i don't want to say that because i don't want to i don't want to frame this as though my ego needed to be checked but it was really wonderful on a set usually i'm the person i can say when we stop i can say when we go and it was beautiful to see this other person who's not there to make art they are there to just make sure human beings stay whole to see her go okay now we need to stop because you are more important than this thing and it was beautiful because i think it kept us going it's the only way we were able to get through it everything you're saying everything you're saying i wish i could pick it apart more but yeah um but and so in that because i think you said something about the you said something about the gaps in between earlier on but i was going to expand on from the narratives that whether you've seen, been influenced by, but or just part, known and parked aside, what did you want to bring to the screen in this city in Underground Railroad to fill in the gaps that are missing from my perspective about what slavery was? Because I think if I can amble the youth of your characters with Tuso, she's so young. And that hit me because mm -hmm. you forget that actually you kind of put a 30, 40 year old in that space of the slave, but they were young. And yeah. in real yeah. adult situations, the fact that Caesar's mm -hmm. resisting having to be bred on to breed on demand, those mm -hmm. little nuances, and even when they they get to the parts of high society, them just being on paper as equal as everybody else, looking as gorgeous and regal as everybody else. What were your intentional gaps that you wanted to fill in to teach us who think we know everything about slavery and those who you know assume that it wasn't that deep? It's a couple things, you know, one, you know, over here and I'm, you know, I think we're all trying to really work ourselves to, to get this, this terminology um, ingrained, but as opposed to referring to people as slaves, we're, yes. we refer to them as enslaved. And yes. it, when you do that, it's because now this is an enslaved human being. So who is the human being? Because they can't be defined by their condition. Yeah. And so it was, it was really, really important to me to make a show that wasn't about slavery, about the institution of slavery, that it was about these human beings um, who had to suffer under this condition and then getting past the condition and really exploring who they are. And you know, for me, I, uh, I, I did a, an interview with, I think it was Sight and Sound, and the, the woman uh, who's a really great interview, she referred to me as a miniaturist. And I was like, man, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, miniaturist? And I was like, wait, what does that mean? Um, and I think in this case, it really does apply because the word slavery is such a big, big term that it supersedes everything. It blocks out so many things. And for me, and if you imagine the word slavery as being this word written in white, against yeah. a black background yeah. and you're looking at it, there's all these spaces, like S goes like this, there's all these, you're gonna see all these black spaces within the white. I was like, okay, the show is about the black spaces between all these characters and the characters of the letters. And so I love how in this show, there's a very simple image, it's not even a scene, an enslaved black man sitting on a porch, sewing a doll, for two kids he did not conceive but that he will raise as his own. Mm -hmm. We've been coded to believe that black men don't care about children. Yes. That black men don't care about, and here is this man, when you first meet him, you think, oh, I hate that dude. And then this, this gift through heinous conditions enters his life and he's like, I just wanna wrap my arms around it. I think those are the kind of images that we haven't allowed ourselves to see of our ancestors because that word is so damn big, but it's like, okay, it's big as hell, but look through it and look at all this other shit, all this other interesting miniaturist character behind it. And so to me, that was what the show was really about. And um, and also to just and simple shit, you know, I love that as a filmmaker, 
I dig this shit. And so I would love to make a Western. I would love to dabble in horror and dabble in these things, dabble in action. And I think that what I love is that Cora is not a famous person. Yeah. She's a woman who suffered through the condition of being enslaved. There are so many other characters in this show that can sustain a whole 10 hour. Their lives went through so many different ways. And I was like, you know what? This is an opportunity to take this one character and ride all these damn waves and show all the character beneath, behind that big ass word that obscures so much about our ancestors. You just encapsulated everything I wanted to ask because it was that I had, I was saying that when you hear Barry Jenkins name, you immediately think beauty, beautiful black people caring for each other in a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask you, how did you dance between fielding accusations of trauma porn versus visualizing mm -hmm. what happened to slaves? Because there were some brutal moments in that, but mm -hmm. everything you're saying is speaking to what you're, what it is. You know what though? It's tough, man. I, 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 it's difficult to tell a story of this time featuring characters, even when those characters are centered, without telling the truth about the brutality of their condition. It's, it's very difficult to tell a story about these characters and not have trauma be a part of it. I think for me, the idea of sensationalizing acute trauma, I think that has been done. I was more interested in one, the after effects of trauma, the trauma visited upon people who have to witness the trauma of people they care about. And so as we were filming it, for example, that the first time we see anybody get whipped, and I will say in this show, we never see a close-up of a whip contacting anyone's skin ever. And so we start to film the scene and it's a big wide shot at night. So you can kind of see what's happening. And then it was the first setup we did of it. And I was like, you know what? The wide shot is enough, I'm repulsed. Not only that, we're not gonna sit on this wide shot, we're gonna come off the acute trauma that's happening. And we're gonna land on these people who have to witness it. Yes. And we're gonna give them a moment as well. We're gonna reaffirm their humanity. And boom, and that was it. That was all we shot. But here is, here is where my responsibility as a black storyteller, as a black craftsperson comes into play. That is all we shot, Akua. So no one else can come in there and go, you know what, but I need to see the whip contacting skin. Well, good luck, because that shit ain't in the footage. It ain't in there. I had to balance this responsibility of where is the line? How do I tell the truth? But how do I not force people to revel in it, to grovel in it? And I think the other part of your question, balancing the beauty and the horror, one of the things that's so horrific about this time is how beautiful everything was. You know, I can't do anything about the fact that we're standing in front of this house where now people get married in all the time, all the time. There's all these beautiful mangrove trees. Yes. The sun is setting. It's gorgeous. That makes it even more horrific. Yes. And it's not my responsibility to go, well, let's only shoot when the sun is overcast. Let's not. It's like, no, no, no. Actually, these, they, they couldn't even appreciate something about the natural beauty of the world. Couldn't get inside them enough so they could see the humanity of these folks. To me, it makes it even more horrific. Um, but I, think it, I don't think it over sensationalizes, is it? No, it you doesn't. Know, that was tough, man. It was, it was tough. But what I am happy about is as you go on the journey, that beauty, eventually, it aligns with the beauty of our folks. Yes. Once we get to that vineyard, then it's like, now, now we in sync. Now we in sync. And the reason why I wanted those people to look directly at the audience, because it's like, see how simple this shit was? Just leave us alone. This is how simple it was. 
If you just leave, well, what does Mingo say? To, 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 to work land, to viability, to sustainability. It's like, just, if you just, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. No, I'm because tangent. I'm feeling you. And let me keep myself calm because the show ain't came out yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. You can't say things. I got to be professional and responsible. Let me keep myself calm. But also we can't do spoilers and everything. So I'm just like, this is true. This is true. And they told me to shut the hell up and wrap up anyway. But I mean, like I said, I could speak to you forever and ever. And it's wonderful to see you again. I'm feeling your Scorpio vibe. I'm a Scorpio too. So it's, hey, that's what's in hey, there. Hey, recognize game. <laughs> yeah, but obviously, I like, it's just wonderful to talk to you. And thank you again for a wonderful piece of work. I can't wait to everyone to see it and really respond. And just hearing your conversation about it, you filled in so much for me. And um, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Barry. Thank you, my dear. Stay safe. Stay yeah, safe. Man, you too. Take care.